0: If you're a tobacco company or an alcohol company that is not up to speed on the industry, you're five years behind. And I know that sounds controversial, but this industry is hard enough. And I think that pretty much every single big company is looking at it. And if they're not, they're way behind the curve. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Scott Grossman of Turning Point Brand. Scott, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Of course. How are you
2: doing, gentlemen? Good doing well. Here. Good to see you. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Excited to, to talk to Scott. Really excited to learn about uh, Turning Point's place in the industry and, you know, just hoping to hold the West Coast down over here. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Scott, just for the record, your location, please.
0: I'm located in Connecticut. I'm actually on the road today in the field, but uh, I spend most of my time in the Northeast.
1: That's it. Shout out for another East Coaster, Kellen. You are losing the battle. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, for our listeners, unfamiliar about you, can give you a little background about yourself. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, I had a corporate development at Turning Point uh, where I lead efforts on M&A and large commercial partnership focused uh, in the cannabinoid space. Just some context on Turning Point. Turning Point is a a marketer and distributor of branded consumer products uh, in the active ingredient space. Uh, We're led by our core brands, such as Zigzag, which uh, as you may know, is a, as a leading and iconic 150 year old brand in the rolling paper category. Um, You know, high level turning point is about a $450 million revenue business. We sell across both B2B and B2C channels, including over, Two hundred thousand C stores, head shops, dispensaries, and and directly to cannabis operators, both on the cultivation side as well uh, in dispensaries.
1: And kind of picking that apart, cannabis is just one vertical underneath the Turning Points umbrella.
0: Yeah, so you know, like I mentioned, you know, Zigzag has been around for over a century. I think the joke is that it was uh, it was a, a taboo cannabis accessory for most of that time. Um, Turning Point went public in 2016, and you know, to our credit, you know, we are one of the first public companies, certainly listed on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, to actively embrace cannabis and deploy capital uh, in several you know non-plant touching companies to help fuel growth and and really further embed Zigzag into you know this this huge market that we see.
2: What was that transition like from kind of cannabis being a legal taboo to now it's kind of there's adult recreational in some states. Hemp, of course, is uh, completely legal. Like, how is that kind of transition from a public image perspective?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I've been at Turning Point now just over uh, almost about two years. Before that, I was a public and private investor uh, on Wall Street. And spent most of my time focused on on consumer, retail, hospitality. So I've been investing and been around the cannabis space for a long time, and was looking for the right platform to really spread my wings. Uh, given you know this green wave that we're experiencing, with respect to inside Turning Point, listen, it's been an evolution. Obviously, we're a public company. You know, historically, there's been laws against paraphernalia, et cetera. I think we're way past that. And given the change, both the normalization, the consumer adoption, we're now in 39 states, 21 of which is recreational. It's a $25 billion industry. It's been embraced by a variety of industries from big tobacco, where we sit, to big food, to you know big pharma. Um, the conversation gets easier and easier every day. Uh, which is great to see, both as a, a consumer and advocate of the plant, but also as a professional. Uh, just gives us a lot more flexibility and and, and ability to kind of move
1: around in a, in, a, in a
0: very exciting way.
1: I'm curious to know from an investment standpoint when Turning Point talks about ca- the cannabis vertical. Obviously, early on, it's probably exciting. There's all these unknowns and opportunities, but obviously, as we've seen now with the economic. Climate that's going on, it's it's not as advantageous. So, have you seen a shifting in the narrative or in the feedback from investors, or has it kind of stayed constant
0: with respect to turning points, investors?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, like I said, Zigzag is is roughly half of Turning Points revenue. It's over almost two thirds of our cash flow and EBITDA. You know, Zigzag when we went public in twenty sixteen was relatively flat, and to the points which I just made, you know, we've put a a real effort to try and grow ZigZag and and make it what is potentially one of the only few nationally recognized cannabis brands in the country. So when we went public in 2016, since 2019 to today, the ZigZag brand has grown 75%. Obviously, a lot of that is tied to the secular wave that we're seeing. And so with respect to our investors uh, you know we're viewed as as a as a picks and shovels brand, a valued strategic partner. Clearly have uh, you know our our toes in the water with respect to directly investing in the space. And from you know our investor standpoint, it's there are very few companies and in industries today that have these secular tailwinds which we're enjoying, and we're just trying to do our the best to to, to help monetize that.
1: And I know one of the areas that you enjoy is playing offense from an M&A perspective. Is there certain characteristics for companies you're looking for especially now given how the industry is operating?
0: That is a great question. You know, one of the things that that I was tasked in doing when I joined um a lot of it was doing more of an education and getting the management team as well as the board of directors you know, up to speed uh, on this market because it's grown so quickly and it's really hard to keep track of. And so, you know, what I would tell you is that we invest based on our best view of what we think the end state could be. We're not financial investors. And so therefore we're not investing for the next call it, three to five years, but really we have to make bets for, you know, a, a almost a perpetual capital duration and so what that forced us to do is really, you know, what do we want to be when we grow up? And, um, you know, we took a page from, you know, what we've done in, 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 in really the big to, tobacco side. We own a brand called Stokers, which is a, a leading value uh, brand in the, in the moist snuff and chewing tobacco space. And so we've never grown tobacco and we've never run, run uh, retail. And so it really forced us to be really strict upon, you know, like, what do we want to do in cannabis? Uh, And so that actually cleared a lot of the chessboard. We knew we didn't want to be an MSO. We knew we didn't want to be a cultivator. And at the same time, we also knew that we didn't want to run dispensaries. Now, never say never, but that really forced us to be a little bit more focused on trying to find areas where we can... Find opportunities that are highly synergistic with what we do, namely zigzag and the product portfolio there, but also um, find ways, whether it's on the brand side, whether it's on the value-added supplier side and the distribution side, um, to, to be a valued partner to a variety of people who are
2: already in the space. So you said you guys kind of like cleared the chessboard, right? And and you mentioned a couple really important pieces in in the entire industry. And, and those pieces are, are valuable for the industry as a whole from a supply chain perspective. So are you guys doing anything specific to at least understand those sections of the supply chain? Um, is there any activities that you kind of participate to, to help with that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think one of the big... Parts of my job is is really just being a a student and and really learning uh, as much as I can throughout the value chain from breeders to cultivators to best in class MSOs to small state operators. Um, I, I do my best to be in the field like I'm doing now to really understand exactly what's happening inside the dispensary. Um, and that serves a few for a few purposes. One, the, the, the industry is moving so quickly. And so, you know, I can go into a grow room and I'm actually did it today, you know, finding out the new technologies, whether it's crop steering or new sensors that didn't exist six, nine, 12 months ago. Um, and, and so that's only beneficial to what I do by, by trying to be a student and hopefully an expert in the space. I can then not only have that connectivity, but just deeply understand to the best I can where ultimately the, the the industry is going.
1: And a lot of that has to be connected on relationships. And I know that's really paramount for you and something you hold really true. So can you kind of share more about how you take that information and those relationships and you help kind of bring that value to, to your current role?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I think a good example is potentially using one of our portfolio companies, not to pick one. Everyone's baby looks, uh, everyone says their baby looks the prettiest, but you know, one of our babies is is Old Pal. Old Pal, as you probably know, was one of the pioneers in the asset light model, licensing model, clearly very synergistic with ZigZag. They use all of our papers for the pre-rolls and the roll your own. They don't touch the plant and they're in, you know, call it nine states today. And so they have connectivity and relationships and partners uh, across the country. And so You know, I think that's a good example of trying to, you know, one big theme that that I've been harping on, both internally as well as externally, to the extent I can, is this concept of partnerships and collaborations. I don't necessarily think there's one operator out there that has the silver bullet to do everything exceptionally perfect. And so we're definitely seeing a more receptivity across the value chain, to work with partners to solve other people's problems and in doing so, solving our own. So Old Pal is a good example where we are obviously invested in them. We distribute all of their apparel um, and their accessory side. And given you know that our products in their end product, uh, we have a number of fruitful conversations across the value chain to not only grow Old Pal, but also grow at the exact same time.
1: Sure. And kind of expanding on that, a lot of the relationships, are they equity ownership where your team takes ownership in it? Or is it just distribution assets in order to help grow their their share? How does that work?
0: We do both. So Old Pal is is an equity and debt investment. But Clipper as a good uh, corollary is uh, we have the exclusive distribution rights in North America, both in US and Canada. Clipper is, as you may know, is a number one reusable lighter. They have a 20 to 40% market share in Western Europe, where they're, where they're founded in Spain. They have a very small market share in the United States, roughly around 3% um, behind the number one uh, player, which is BIC. So in that case, you know, we, we don't have an equity investment in in Clipper, but it's really doing what we do day in and day out. We, like I mentioned, we're over in over 200,000 stores. We have 150 people on the street, day in and day out, both in head shops, all the way through dispensaries. And and so we're we're trying to push and build not only our brands, but also our partner brands.
2: Are those kind of relationships strategic? Like you guys get together and you you are like, hey, Clipper has got a great market share in Europe. they they be a great partner? Or is it something that kind of more naturally falls together? Like you're like, oh, we both are in the same category, like maybe we should dance together. We're both going to the dance. Kind of walk us through that uh, that process, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's, it's also a phenomenal question. Um, obviously, there's a ton of accessories out there. And so we have to be very strategic in how we approach it. Obviously, everyone's time is very precious. Uh, you know, Clipper, you know, by owning a the lighter, it's it's very synergistic with rolling papers and roll your own and and pre-rolls. The brand's been around for over a hundred years, so there's that nostalgic, iconic type of brand equity, which we understand deeply well. You know, what I would say is, you know, Clipper historically has relied on rolling paper distributors in Europe. And so there was a playbook that they've been deploying in Europe that they wanted to bring in the United States they were they were with two previous partners before us and hopefully we can just do a little bit of a better job to, to get them further embedded in in a much larger market it's about a 500 million dollar category in the United States we think it's a 100 million dollar opportunity don't know when but you know we started selling that product in Q3 of last year we got it in already into 25,000 stores and so without question, it's one of the most successful launches that turning point uh that actually uh that we've turned on.
2: I'll be honest, I did not know of clipper lighters maybe like fourteen months ago. And I have no idea if turning point is responsible for this. It's just a natural coincidence, is but <laughs> I do know of clippers now, and it's because uh because centuries in Colorado. They literally give give out Clipper, and I was like, "What is this?" And then someone explained that they're reusable, and the whole story. So that's a recent development in my life. So I don't know if it's because of your guys's uh, efforts, but I just wanted to give you a shout out. <laughs> Thank you. I, I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> but,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, Clipper is 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 a is a big brand in the, in the alternative space. Alternative yeah. to us, so are clear. Is you know anything but sea stores? You know, head yeah. shops, smoke shops, vape shops, dispensaries. Uh, the clipper besides the reusability it has uh the flint comes out which helps as a packing tool uh, a lot of consumers use the edge to to help with with joints and the rolling of that uh, it's a great product um, they're also very customizable so a lot of dispensaries and, and and head shops put their their own logos on it and so it's been a, a success so far and we're excited about where we can take it
1: Staying on the strategy side, obviously with the M&A is a big focus for you. Are you looking for specific uh, add-on products that fit into the portfolio from a consumer standpoint? As in, this consumer likes to smoke, we're looking for products that are all by them. Or are you targeting certain regions knowing the Northeast is coming online, the Southeast in the future, and looking for certain products that fit in those categories? How, How do you think about each of those?
0: Yeah, so with respect to geography, we pay very close attention to what states are being greenlit. When they're coming online, um, and we, di- you know, we we divert a lot of our Salesforce efforts into trying to be a good partner into, you know, getting those, um, you know, head shops and alternative stores to look like the best world class, you know, dispensaries, whether it's in California, etc. Um, that would be more on the geography. We don't necessarily invest specifically on that. With respect to categories, I would say everything is fair game. You know, ninety-nine percent of the stuff we look at, unfortunately, we turn down for a variety of reasons. But, you know, we're trying to again trying to find something that, you know, really fits with what we do that can be put into the sales bag and and so be a little bit more of a one-stop shop for the for the customer. And the customer in this case would be the store owner or the MSO or the head shop owner. And so that's that's kind of how we approach it.
2: Do you guys have any data that... So like within ZigZags, there's different types of rolling papers, correct? Like yeah. there's larger ones, there's smaller ones. Um, and I'm generalizing, right? But do you guys have any data where specifically in different geographic regions, you notice that, hey, larger um, papers sell better in the Northeast. And so then do you guys kind of integrate that into your strategic like launch when a state comes online?
0: Yeah, I, I for sure. For sure. I personally do not have, you know, I'm not really uh, deep in that data day in and day out. Um, You know, one of the things that we've done over the last couple of years, like 2019, we launched cones. 2022, we launched, uh, you know, natural leaf wraps. So the portfolio of ZigZag is, is getting larger from anywhere from different size cones to different types of rolling papers, king size, unbleached, hemp. Uh, we have terpene wraps. And so uh, right now, the industry, roughly speaking, 40% is flower, 20% is pre-roll. And the reality is that there's just a number of different use cases for that flower. Some people like to use glass, some people like to use vape. Um, And so we're trying to figure out the product suite to satisfy all different types of user experiences.
1: Uh, I thought you were going to say thirty percent beverage and just make a lot of people angry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm bullish on beverage. Uh, you know, I think it's less than you know one to three percent of the market today. I think there's definitely an argument. If if you kind of unwrap the industry today, there's clearly a par- a portion of the market that will never uh, combust. Right? They don't want to smoke a joint, um, and so. As you think about consumption lounges, as you think about the more of a normalization of the actual end product, you know, the THC product, I think, you know, all the above for the industry to grow to what we think it will. um, There's no question in my mind that, that that beverage will be part of that equation.
1: I think that's a great transition to the cannabis tobacco overlap. The cannabis mm-hmm. industry seems to have a uh, big distrust for tobacco. Would you find that true? And do you have any rebuttal on why that shouldn't be accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think as a industry, and I obviously I'm in it, so there's there's reticence to get in bed with big tobacco, big food, big pharma. They tend to be big companies. I don't necessarily think, we're, we're definitely not enemies. I, I think at... At, at worst, we're frenemies, right? Uh, you've seen a number of things, whether what we've done or BAT or Altria with Kronos. There's, there's been a, a bunch of like toe dipping from a number of big tobacco. Uh, with us, I think it's a little bit of an easier sell, right? Because we've been in the rolling paper business now uh, for a very long time. And, and at the end of the day, it comes down to trusting and knowing your partners, doing what you say you're going to do. Um, and so I think it's a little bit easier for us, but at the end of the day, I think that this whole strategic first startup mentality is is always whether you're in cannabis or not, um, there's always that fear that you're getting in bed with a much larger company and and I think over time that that will fall away at least that's my hope.
1: Yeah, I think so hundred percent, and I think synergies is is a big big add on advantage, right The resources that a tobacco company can bring to the table is just massively advantageous. They've done it at large scale, which is critical, right? As the game evolves from like, let's call it independent market or market becomes a global game, you're going to need resources and infrastructure that just isn't currently seen here in cannabis that can be utilized that are already in place from tobacco companies.
0: That's fair. That's completely fair. And, and if you look at big, you know, big tobacco specifically, you know, that industry is fragmented as well, right? There, there are people who grow it, there are people who package it and there are people who sell it. Ultimately, I think that's that's where our industry is going as well. And this kind of speaks to being world-class exactly what you do and staying focused. And so over time, I, I think that, you know, these companies are going to need partners, whether to getting this, the, the products on the shelves or marketing it in the right way or producing it in the right way. It's really hard to do everything uh, great, right, which is what I said before.
1: Scott, do you have any partners outside of the cannabis industry that are interested in in getting inside that say, hey, Scott, you know, what do you think about bringing product X or infrastructure Y into the cannabis industry? Is the the feeling in the outside industry of, of getting warmer and being interested in learning more and then potentially partnering in the space?
0: When you say outside industry, can you be a little bit more
1: specific? Sure. So like more specific tobacco-based companies that are not currently partnering with cannabis companies or more not necessarily operating within cannabis currently, but more interested in learning about it and then dipping the toe inside like you were saying.
0: Yeah, this is going to be controversial. But if you're a tobacco company or an alcohol company that is not up to speed on the industry, you're five years behind. And I know that sounds controversial, but this industry is hard enough. And I think that Pretty much every single big company is looking at it, and if they're not, they're way behind the curve. Like I said, my past, you know, the reason why I ultimately decided to to go all in is that I was on the board of a small beverage company that was um, had nothing to do with cannabis, of course, but they were looking at hemp derived and THC. And um, you know, I I, like I like I mentioned, uh, you know, I was an investor in mostly bigger companies and. Uh, I would tell you that the information inside the boardroom of a big food company on cannabis today is light years ahead of where it was, call it three or five years ago, and that's for a number of reasons. One, I think it's potentially cannibalizing their core business, but also, uh, you know, if you're a distributor of alcohol or etc. Or, or soda, this only adds to the sales bag, and 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 it's it's somewhat of an easier sell for. For a bigger company. And so I, I think
1: we're only going to see that increase. I 100% agree. And I don't think it's controversial at all. And I think the people who who believe that's controversial are just maybe lacking with understanding of what the current times are. Because if your role is to be head of strategy of one of these large companies, and you're not thinking about cannabis as a possible added, probably doing a disservice to your company, because it is a massive opportunity, one that needs capital, infrastructure, and resources desperately. And it's just a matter of time before the walls come down. And the bigger players are here operating. So if you don't have that strategy ready to roll, you're probably going to be behind.
0: Yeah, and not not only the actual end product. You know, a good example is what we did with Amiri last year. We did a partnership with Amiri, which is a high-end clothing brand, and we created zigzag Amiri products that we're selling for you know five hundred dollar t shirts. And um, I think that's a really good example of cannabis crossing across different parts of pop culture, whether it's in the concert space or the event planning space uh, or the advertising space, the cannabis consumer is very different than when it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And whether you do anything or not actual on the product side, I think knowing, you know, the what's going on inside the industry is is only going to be beneficial to what you do day in and day out.
2: Yeah, and it's also beneficial to a lot of these cannabis companies that probably just don't know it yet, right? Because they don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? Like a lot of this infrastructure and relationships and all these other things are already present. It's just a matter of getting two parties to agree on terms and be able to kind of utilize like the infrastructure that's already present.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just going back to what I just said, it it might not be a traditional partnership or investment. It might be XYZ product is selling in sacks, but is trying to, you know, target that consumer who's more prone to using cannabis versus alcohol, you know, so there, there are a bunch of ways, I think, you know, on the concert side, you're seeing it more, you know, whether it's out Outland Bands or or Lollapalooza, there's been a, a huge outreach on amongst, uh, amongst these types of, of companies to try and market to these consumers. So that's pretty exciting. And I th- still think we're very early. But, um, you know, I just, I only see it going, going, uh, increasing.
1: I know your team is not a plant touching operator, but does it face yeah. any cannabis related, uh, issues or stigmas that would surprise or shock other people to hear?
0: Listen, I think we we all face the same stigma, you know, cannabis consumers are lazy or they're not motivated or, you know, and, and it, I'm probably biased, but, you know, it it could be further from the truth. And most consumers that I know who use it recreationally or medically um, are super high performers, (laughs) you know. Um, And uh, I, I think that we're living in a world where health and wellness is being closely examined from everything we put in our body. And I'm not saying that cannabis is the end-all be-all and it's the panacea to longevity. But if you're drinking five beers at a night and spending $50 and have a thousand calories and waking up with a hangover, the younger generations are are seeking alternatives. And, and, and so I think the stigma that was perpetuated over the last 50 plus years is just a shame. And I'm glad to see that changing.
1: 100%. On other podcasts, I've heard you mention dispensaries 2.0. I'd yes. like to know what you mean by that.
0: Yeah, so at the end of the day, uh, Dispensary 2.0 is very similar to what we see in every other type of industry. You walk into a Whole Foods or a CBS or a Walgreens, you traditionally see 80 or 70 to 90% being branded products. And the rest being private label, you have shelves where the uh, the high end or the the premium is is right in front of your eyes, and the and the lower end or the value is on the sh- on the bottom end. I'm thinking of cereal, which is a great category to look at. Crazy. dispensary 2.0 just basically means the ability to target a different consumer, a different demographic, and a different user experience. The example that I use is if I'm having 20 people over my house for a party or a barbecue, I'm probably not serving Dom Perignon to, to all 20 people. Uh, whereas if I go out with my wife, then you know that, that purchase may be different. And I think that's ultimately what I mean by dispensary 2.0. And part of that equation is having world-class brands like ZigZag being a part of that experience.
1: How do we get there? And how do other brands rise to that world-class that you... You shared,
0: yeah. So, you know, I would say cannabis 1.0, and this is somewhat hard to hear. I think we just had too many brands. Uh, they weren't delivering a value proposition. They weren't consistent. There, a lot of them were me too brands, um, and that made it very hard for brands to stand out. I think it also made it very hard and confusing to the end consumer. And then, if you're an operator or an MSO or an SSO, it also made it very hard to, to, to kind of pick the winners versus the potential losers. There's a natural attrition going on. Obviously, capital is extremely tight. And that's not just in cannabis, but we're seeing it across other startups. And so the strong, uh, in my opinion, are getting stronger throughout the value chain, by the way. And so if you're a world-class brand and you're in your particular state and have proven the ability to expand and penetrate other states and see the user uh, gravitate towards that um, I think ultimately that's that's how we get there is just having the cream rise to the top and having the best operators understand the power of brands and have companies like turning point who are uh, who can distribute and market and sell those brands uh, I think that's ultimately going to take time but that that that's ultimately how we think the end state looks like.
2: How far do you think we are from these products just being available in your everyday retail locations?
0: Cannabis products?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I know zigzags are already available, but...
0: Oh, yeah. I think we're a far, far cry from that. Um, I'm having
2: there's... like an aisle in my uh, local grocery store of just cannabis products. You think we're a little ways, away? <laughs> Minnesota feels differently. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean we we have a patchwork of states all with their own rules. Every state is its own market. We have infrastructure yeah. in every state. Um if you're an operator and you know poured millions of dollars to build that uh you're clearly going to be reluctant to have uh cannabis be sold in you know in a, in a 7-11. Uh, on the flip side, if you're 711, you, you want to get those products in the store because your customers are, are going elsewhere. You know, I don't necessarily know. My sense is federal legalization will have a huge impact on ultimately what that looks like, but I had clearly have no idea when or, or when that could happen.
2: One if of
1: you my, let me know. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> we're just, we edit that part out, so we're just <laughs> One of my my favorite things to do is when a friend of mine uh, shows me a product they purchased from a regional dispensary. I always like to ask them, "Why did you buy that product?" Right? Solely because I'm curious. Just like you were saying, Scott, like how does someone select first time which brand to take? And two responses are overwhelmingly the favorites. One, the bud tender recommended it. Yeah. Second one, I like the packaging. And it, it just yep. blows my mind that those are the two fundamental choices when people are making choices because it's so difficult for brands to put on this incredible product and no literally random choice based on color association and packaging and a blood tender recommendation. So, I mean, how do brands overcome those challenges?
0: Yeah, it's hard. I don't have that. I don't have a magic bullet. I would also put on that list is THC concentration, sure. which is just a shame because... um You know, we don't buy alcohol that way. Maybe when we were younger and stupid, we bought Everclear because (laughs) of that, you know, a bang for your buck. But, you know, anyone who's been consuming cannabis and is passionate about it knows that THC percentage means nothing. Um, Clearly, the terpene content and the way it's handled and grown and what type of substrate it's grown in and how it's cured, it matters more. Um, You know, there's this whole concept of power users, uh, power users are exactly what you think it means. It's 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 those consumers who are, I wouldn't call them connoisseurs, but more regulars. And they're call it 30, 20 to 30% of the market, but they buy a lot more. And so that's, that tends to be more on the focused on quality. Now, every state's different, right? So a quality product in California, again, my humble opinion is, is still light years ahead of most states. And so I think over time that that does shake out. But to your point, I think for a brand to really resonate, it has to be consistent. It has to be priced effectively and, and 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 the consumer feels like they're getting value for it. But it also has to be innovative and 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 to your point, it has to look different and it has to speak to that consumer. So all the above, not easy, but ultimately I think, you know, there are a few brands that have been able to do some of that, Um, you know, not to pick on names, but I think Cookies has done a really good job. A couple of hash companies like 710, um, you know, Jungle Boys on the flower side. There are a few companies that have really been able to demonstrate a particular brand ethos and a consistency of product to back it up. And ultimately, it just takes reps and time to to build brand equity and, and customer awareness
1: thoughts on sativa hybrid and indica
0: you know it's i think everything at this point is a hybrid you know when I'm, I'm aging myself but i'm i'm 45 years old and the sativa indica conversation really didn't exist 10 years ago it's a relatively new phenomenon i think everything at this point is 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 hybridized and has a a blend of each i personally you know I, I'm not. I don't enjoy sativa leaning heavy strains. It's just not the effect that I that I, I'm looking for. I tend to use it for sleep and for relaxation. And um, so I understand the nomenclature. I understand that you have to kind of put something on the shelf that speaks to it. Again, a, a different experience. But I think at this point, to say something is pure sativa or
1: pure indica is, is a little bit of a misnomer. How do you think consumers will purchase products in the future then?
0: In terms of of strain, is that that
1: meaning? Yeah, like right now, it seems like to be the leading indicator. I bought this Indica because the bud tender recommended it because I was looking for something like this. How do you think consumers will purchase products in the future? Something differently? Or do you think it'll be sativa, Indica, and hybrid will stay?
0: It's a good question. I don't necessarily know if I have a great answer to that. I think most people who go to the bud tender are looking for a particular experience, right? I have a lot of pain. Can you help with this? Or I can't sleep. Can you help with that? Um, And so my suspicion is certainly over the next call of three to 10 years is that we'll still be using that dialogue. My hope and expectation is that as we do more work on the cannabinoids and as well as uh, the terpenes, we'll have a better ability to dial in the particular experience that the consumer is looking for. And that's probably the next chess move is just having more information on what terpenes do to us, um, more information on the minor cannabinoids, again, to address a certain experience. Um, that's my hope. And and we're starting to see that. You know, you're definitely seeing a couple of things. A couple of brands are just moving away from the sativa hybrid and, and saying this is for sleep or relaxation or energy or workout. And so it's definitely more of an experience-based type of product. On the other hand, we're also starting to see just an increased emphasis on what actually is inside this strain. So the best, you know, uh, on the super high quality side, you know, I think genetic integrity is becoming way more important. You know, how did we actually create the strain? This was... This was an F2 seed that was pollinated and, and going back to the original. I think people, particularly on the power user side and the high quality side, really want to know exactly what's inside the strain. Um, but also, you're also seeing people saying, you know what? I just want to get a good night's sleep. I don't care what's in it. Uh, if it works, fantastic. And so I think all the above, which is challenging because you have to kind of satisfy all those consumers, but I think all the above is, is likely going to
2: happen. Yeah, kidding? I agree. I agree, and I will say one thing: uh, there is an organization out of California. They're manufacturing or they're trying to put together what are called terpene tags. I, 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 I was going to bite my tongue, but I was like, I have to. Are you going <laughs> to send an invoice, to Dr. Abrams? I know. Yeah. I need he's a, sponsored I, the, I, podcast. Advertising the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, know, I was day. like, I literally was debating mentioning it or not because <laughs> no, but they're doing good work. Um, they ran a huge study on several terpenes and uh, how individuals respond to those strains based on the terpenes. They correlated it um, and they're putting together a product called Terpene Tags that is supposed to address everything you just said, Scott, right? Like these are the terpenes that are present that cause this effect. So when you go and purchase uh, a plant right, or some flower, at least you have some science that you can stand on instead of... Joe in his closet grew this from these two strains that he was told that were this, and now it's an indica, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a step in the right direction. But I do think that that's the next move for the power users. But I also think it's really important for mass adoption, right? For more of these like, other consumers that are, are curious, right? If they're able to be like, okay, there is some scientific reasoning to why this product helps me sleep, they they're going to be more willing to try it than kind of these anecdotal stories that they're hearing, in my opinion, at least.
0: I, I agree, certainly on the medical side. Right? Yes, if you're thinking about replacing Ambien with a gummy, you're certainly going to want to know, you know how they t- how they stack up against each other. So I'm all in favor of that. I'm all in favor of also genetic integrity. It's no secret that as you continue to stress these. These these mothers and and the clones, the in the, the integrity of the plant just kind of breaks down. And so those um, you know, those growers who, you know, have a, a passion for trying to create strains that are fresh and new just tend to be healthier and you know, tend to be more potent. And, and so uh those are very encouraging signs.
2: Is there a specific, so like, Stabilizing crops sounds like something the tobacco industry has probably already, they they probably tackled that obstacle 100 plus years ago, correct? So is there something that Turning and Corey can look back in their history and be like, okay, we watched this kind of thing play out when they were trying to stabilize different uh, tobacco strains, right? Is there something like that that you guys are looking at historically, or is that just kind of... Uh,
0: not specifically no. what I'm focused on. Um, I, I think that what's going on in, in, in crop steering now with sensors is fascinating to me and, and, and ultimately there's a you know there's decades of ag tech that's at the industry's disposal to apply to this plant right. And at the end of the day, it's an agricultural product. you know bricks testing and trying to understand you know how how the the pH content of these plants is changing. All of that's happening in real time, literally, and um, you know, I think that's that's certainly uh, you know obvious in hindsight, but also very exciting because I think it's allowing the grower to really dial in um, what they're trying to achieve and and ultimately trying to get higher yield and higher quality. And so, uh, with respect to tobacco, I don't have the information. I don't necessarily know, and I certainly can find out for you what they've done. Um, you know that product is 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 a little bit more refined, right? It's it's one tobacco plan, and they break it down, and and so it's a little bit of a different. It's not necessarily apples and oranges, but I think the the, the same philosophy would apply.
1: I think pulling from the ag tech space is, is so critical, and we've seen a big shift in how that works. And I think for some, it's kind of been shocking, and others are kind of uh un unaware of that. There's all this technology exists, but think about it: all these other industries that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, utilize the same principles. We can apply that technology internally and have massive benefits probably pretty easily.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think some of the things that we're seeing is just amazing, right? I mean, we're we're seeing grows now just literally have, you know, five plants in a row. Now, now are three and producing, you know, better quality and more yield. Uh, light technology, soil technology, feed technology, all of this stuff is, again, some of it's off the shelf and just hasn't been applied in this industry. And just given the growth in the industry and the number of people that are now in it, it's becoming a legitimate industry. And that's only natural to have and apply things that already exist, whether it's for tomatoes or blueberries or 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 raspberries and apply to this. Um, so that's all exciting. But there's also new stuff that we have yet to a pioneer and, and apply it specifically to this industry. I'm, spe- I'm speaking specifically to uh, the curing side and the trim side and, you know, how we're creating manufactured products, whether it's a pre-roll or a gummy, you know, the, all that innovation is kind of happening in real time. And, and again, it kind of speaks to just staying on top of it, and having your finger on the pulse.
1: What's the future roadmap?
0: For me or for the company? Uh, <laughs> Either or. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, I think... The industry is clearly going through a tumultuous time. Um, I think when we got hit with inflation really in Q2 of last year, uh, combined with price compression now across the country, it just became a very challenging uh, environment for operators um, at the same time, we're seeing continued consumer adoption, continued state expansion. What's unclear right now is that it seems that we're in a much more challenging macro environment outside of cannabis. Cost of capital is higher. You know, we we talk a lot about internally what's going on in the regional banks. The ability to get uh, access to capital is harder. And so... All those pressures on traditional companies uh, is only going to make it that much harder for cannabis companies. I think the roadmap is continuing to do what we're doing with respect to Turning Point. We're head down. We're very much focused on trying to get our products that people love and have loved for 150 years in more hands and more stores. So we're going to continue to do what we do well. And in terms of the roadmap of the industry, I think it's just too early to tell. I think we're going to see, again, the strong getting stronger balance sheet over income statement and hopefully getting some reform on the hill to enable these companies to, to really thrive and grow again. Um, but in the getting to that point is, is a little uncertain. And I think asking anyone that question who has a crystal ball, uh, it, it's, it's suspicious because it could go in a lot of different ways.
1: When you got started in the cannabis journey, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong?
0: What did I get right? I got right that it would be a state-led issue. I got right that the the pressure on bordering states to accelerate the adoption in their own state would increase. I got right that this would cross the aisle between red and blue. And I got right that the industry would start to become more normal and start eating uh, a bunch of established businesses' lunch. Um, what I got wrong, I don't think the price compression, anyone underwrote that. I think that's been way deeper than than most have uh, anticipated. I also thought that access to capital and the and the ability for more institutional investors as well as other strategics I thought at this point we'd have more at the table and we don't. That's probably how I would answer that question.
1: Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience and a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Oof.
0: Um, I would say take care of yourself. I think we spend a lot of time, everyone's hustling and trying to to, to be their best, but I, I don't think we spend enough time about, uh, you know, what you need to do in order to be prepared uh, for that journey. So whether it's meditation or working out and eating right, um, all I would definitely say that if you're 30 years old and you're not working out two to three times a week, I think you're going to get lapped. So that would be a probably a different answer than you're used to. But I definitely think that's something I'm super passionate about, and and I like to pass along towards the younger generations. With respect to work, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is a relationship driven business. It's really small and reputation matters enormously. And so, what I would say is do what you say you're going to do. And if you can't or something's changed, just be super transparent and just try to foster relationships wherever you go. And if there's nothing to do, with that particular party, don't burn that bridge because you never know when that person's going to emerge in a different role. You never know when that company's going to be an opportunity down the road. And so I just try to high, uh, you know, hold myself with enormously high integrity and respect for anyone across the aisle and just try and be a good partner. And if I can't help them directly, try and, try and find someone who can.
1: That's really well said. All right, prediction time.
0: Sp- okay.
1: Is the easy one, Scott? Do you think the cannabis and tobacco industry will become one macro industry and eventually merge? If so, when? If not, why not?
0: Like become the same industry? So like uh, an Altria Marlboro selling cannabis, or yeah, I think it's going to be a hybrid. I definitely think they're going to be standalone, very large, successful cannabis-only companies. I definitely see a world where. I'm hedging a little bit, clearly. Yes. Uh, I definitely see a world where <laughs> cannabis becomes part of a broader portfolio, whether that's big food, big tobacco, uh, big pharma. And we've already seen that. So I don't think I'm going on a ledge with that. But to, to say that the tobacco industry is going to become cannabis, I, I don't think it's correct.
1: You didn't like Boris Jordan's uh, statement on that? What did he say? I maybe, think he maybe? said the moment uh, legalization happens, that tobacco companies will become cannabis companies. I think it'll be part of the portfolio as it should, as it should be.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what's not necessarily always appreciated is, you know, a lot of these businesses are enormously moated. So if you're a big tobacco selling into a C store, you have very valuable shelf space, you have very valuable distribution and relationships. And so to add a product that people now want, as opposed to things that people don't want, i.e., combustible cigarettes, uh, just makes a lot of sense. Um, similarly, if you're distributing alcohol or you're a butthouse and you're you know and and you're making that pit stop, it just makes a lot of sense there. So I definitely think that they're synergistic and. And in some cases, cannibalizes what they're doing now. But in and in many cases, at least in our case, it just expands the opportunity that's in front of you.
2: Yeah. Kellen. I am going to, I think they merge. And my reasoning is uh, partially due. I think uh, we were talking before Scott jumped on. And uh, back in my college days, um, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking about how to describe this story. Back in my college days, part of the tradition or routine when me and my buddies got together to uh, consume cannabis was uh, we were talking about zigzags, right? And instead of zigzags, we were using uh, blunt wraps, right? Which are tobacco based. And so uh, I know that spliffs are really big in Europe, right? I know a lot of friends that consume spliffs on a regular basis. I think that in probably 10 plus years, it'll be more than 10 years probably, but I'm going to say in 10 years that you'll be able to go to a store and purchase a a pre-roll that has both tobacco leaf and cannabis leaf in it. You'll be able to go purchase a pre-roll the blunt with an actual tobacco blunt or tobacco leaf, I guess you could say, right? Is the best way to say that. So I do think they're going to merge. I don't think that tobacco companies will be cannabis companies Maybe one or two might rebrand if they have a, a poor public image right now and they want to just kind of wipe that public image and then rebrand as a cannabis company to raise money or, or play some uh, some game like that. But uh, that's that's my kind of opinion on the matter. I think that they've been together for a while and now they're kind of come out of the closet and let everyone know that they had been there together officially, but it won't happen for 10 years.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think timing, going back to what I got wrong, I think timing in this industry is just Impossible. super hard to predict. Um, but I think what you just mentioned is there's definitely a, a, an end state that looks
1: like that for sure. All right, so since Kellen said yes and you took the hybrid approach, I will say no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that they'll ever be able to become one because I think that tobacco has a, a solid reputation with DC. And I think that while we can all agree that the people who make decisions probably don't know what's best for for the people who are making them. There'll be a hard stance against not allowing tobacco to be involved in certain areas while we've seen the overlap. But I think they'll, they'll put a line in the sand and they'll say, okay, with legalization, X can happen. And they'll try to keep tobacco on the side in order to prevent big tobacco from coming in and kind of leading the industry. Whether or not I think that's best is different. But I don't think given how we've laid things out today, that the industry will eventually become one. I do think, like you guys said, that the certain tobacco companies will add that into their portfolio, but I think they'll have to have different assets separately in some creative accounting and nice business form in order to keep them separate, but also together.
0: Yeah, that's also fair. That's hence my hybrid approach.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, like you may you left me with no choice. So Scott... <laughs> Our listeners, they want to get in touch and they want to learn more about Turning Point Brands. Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, TurningPoint.com, uh, or you know, uh, that's the best way to find out a little bit more about our company. Zigzag.com is our our B two C site. You could also find us on Amazon. Obviously, look at us throughout the entire retail uh, network. Uh, with me specifically, uh, I tend to be pretty active on Twitter. It's SRG four four four, I believe or maybe one more four, but there's only one SRG444, so that's me. Um, And please reach out. Uh, Happy to talk to anyone and learn about what people are doing. And It's exciting. And again, to the extent that I can help, I'd be
1: happy to, to, to talk. Awesome. This was fun. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. You bet. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9%
0: of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.